Today I want to follow up with uh, last week's message because I'm feeling and what God has been dealing with me long before Easter on the first Sunday in April, I'm feeling, I am feeling the touch of God and I'm feeling a message of resurrection. And and maybe it's because there was death and destruction over the last year because of the pandemic, but there is a resurrection that is taking place, and I believe that God is going to raise up dead, dry churches uh, in this last days. I believe His Spirit is going to be poured out anew and afresh, that He is giving life and encouragement and hope where there hasn't been any before. So I'm going to encourage you folks watching by live stream that if it's possible and safe for you to come, you come back to the house of God that you plug back in, that you get to work because our job is to propagate the gospel of Jesus Christ, make disciples of all nations, prepare young people and old people alike for ministry to do works of service. That's what God has called us to be. He's called Calvary to be an equipping church that we can equip you through training and discipleship training and Bible study so that you who, who uh, are students now will soon be teachers of the Word of God. Somebody say amen. And I'm thinking of uh, death and through this time of uh, concentrating and focusing and meditating on the scriptures about resurrection, my mind keeps going back to a boneyard uh, long ago in Israel. There was a valley of very dry bones. Somebody say very dry. They weren't just dry, they were very dry. What's the scriptures say up there on the first slide up here? We have the verses here, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. And he's talking to this prophet, he's talking, and he's saying, the Lord took hold of me. Aren't you glad the Lord still takes hold of young men and, and girls and boys and uh, men and women, amen? That God still takes hold of us. He wants to get our attention. He wants us to focus on something besides something that has disappointed us or has hurt us. He wants to get our eyes off the giants in our land. He wants to take hold of us so that he can get us to look in a different direction. We need to look up, not down. We don't look to the side, on either side, or we look behind us at the past, but we look forward where Christ is leading us and where God is leading us. He took hold of the prophet, and he says that I was carried away by the Spirit of the Lord to the valley, to a valley with, uh, with bone, filled with bones. And he led, me to all, he led me all around among the bones that covered the valley floor. They were scattered everywhere across the ground and were completely dried out. Completely dried out. This is New Living Translation. And they were completely dried out. So they weren't just dry. They were very dry, one translation says. Now this is an interesting character, this Ezekiel the prophet. Seems like whenever God's people go astray, whenever they turn their backs on their covenant, when they get lukewarm and turning cold and turning away from God, they forget the terms of covenant that God will send in a prophet. He'll send in a prophet to speak his word to the people of God so that he can what? Punish them? No, he doesn't desire to punish us. He desires us to repent and return to the Lord and plug back into the terms of covenant so that we will be in a place where he can bless us and not punish us. Somebody say amen. That's what God did when he sent Christ, the innocent Lamb of God, his very own son, his one and only son, to die on Calvary's cross so that we might look to him, believe on him, and appropriate by faith the blood of Christ, the blood of the cross, to cover and cleanse our sins and wash it away, causing us to be born again by believing on him, writing our name in the Lamb's book of life, eternally identifying us as his children. Somebody say amen. 
So when Ezekiel was around 25 years old, that's a a ripe old age, isn't it? Uh, Age uh, is always relative to whether it's old or young, but Ezekiel was around 25 years old, a young man. I wish I could be 25 again, know what I know now. I would make as nearly as many dumb mistakes as what I did before. How many believe that, huh, man? Some of us would do the same stupid things all over again. I don't know. There's something about youth that sometimes we experiment. Sometimes we think we're invincible. Sometimes we think that laws of, of uh, God's laws don't apply to us. But I can tell you that we will reap what we sow. And I'm telling you that sometimes the things that we go through, sometimes the biggest mistakes that we make are our greatest friend because we learn from them. If we learn from them, they're our friend. Then we know we don't want to do that again, that that was pretty dumb, right? And so Ezekiel, at 25 years old, he was living in Jerusalem, and, and his call was to be a priest at the temple in Jerusalem. What an awesome call that was. He was excited about it. He was looking forward to it. This would provide for him the, a blessing and would give him a sense of purpose, position, and, and really a good living. This was his livelihood. And, and he couldn't be that priest until he reached the ripe old age of 30 years old. But on the day, one day, all of his hopes and his dreams came crashing down. Because what? A mighty army from Babylon came and it invaded the land of Judah. And they didn't destroy it the first time that they came through. But instead, they, they gutted the hope out of the people by doing what? They transported took into captivity the best and the brightest of the young people. They left a brain drain, if you will, a skill drain in the land of of Judah and in Jerusalem. Ezekiel was among, with so many others that we read about in the Old Testament, who were taken into captivity to Babylon to serve the king there. And, And they took them away, not just away from home for a while, but they took them away from the land of promise, from Jerusalem, the city of David, from, the, from their hopes and their dreams. Their life was transformed unwittingly and unwillingly by themselves, not without their choice, with a, given a choice, but suddenly their world changed. Ezekiel, he thought, would become a priest at the temple in Jerusalem, but instead he was taken in exile to Babylon. The events written in the book of Ezekiel starts five years later that we read about. Because Ezekiel is at a refugee camp, we read in the book of Ezekiel, in Babylon. It's his 30th birthday. Happy birthday, Ezekiel. And as he's contemplating his life of what used to be, what should be, what could have been, he's there by uh, uh, by, uh, a river in Babylon, and Ezekiel has a vision. Four powerful creatures he sees, each with four faces, traveling in formation. Underneath them are wheels. They form a divine chariot for God's uh, royal throne. They are the really representative of the very presence of God in Ezekiel as he sees this incredible vision. In this overwhelming moment, God calls Ezekiel to be a prophet instead of a priest. Has God ever changed your vocation? God changes our vocation sometimes. I I know of uh, preachers who were on their way to medical school to become doctors, and suddenly the Spirit of God got a hold of them in a camp meeting or got a hold of them at a youth convention or got a hold of them at some event at church or maybe it was just a quiet time when they were having devotions and the Spirit of God changes the course of their life turns them in a completely different direction. How many know that God always knows what's best for his people? 
So God tells Ezekiel, here's what I want you to do now. You're not going to be a priest, but you're going to be a prophet. You're going to be my mouthpiece, my spokesman to Israel who is in exile. And God tells Ezekiel to speak the truth, to speak out against violence, injustice, and the worship of false gods, and, and, and to call his people back to remembrance, to remember who you are. While you have been taken captive at, at, because of your sin, because you violated the terms of covenant over and over again for generations, and, and call them back to remembrance of who they are as people of covenant, and call them to repentance uh, and to a fresh relationship with God. Ezekiel obeys. He begins to speak truth to everyone, but nobody listens because their hearts are hard. Why are their hearts hard? Because they were confused. They were saddened. You see, for many, many years they were told these disciples of what was known as the disciples of Isaiah would tell them that God will never allow the enemies of Israel to invade and destroy the temple because his name is here. Well, can I tell you something that we can cross a line into sin and perversion so far and read Romans chapter 1. We can cross over the line and cross over all the stop signs that God puts out, all the slow down signs, all the turn back, dead end street, and we keep going. Pretty soon we're going to go over uh, and crash down into the river or off a cliff because the bridge is out. We got to listen to the warnings of God. And here we have this, that Ezekiel proclaims the truth that, that he's called by God to do. That, and, and then he begins, when they don't listen to his warnings, then he begins to speak of a vision that God had given him that, yeah, Jerusalem was invaded. It was decimated, and there's a brain drain there that we are taken into captivity into a foreign land to serve a king that doesn't believe in our God. And he said, but there's going to be another attack because the hardness of the hearts of those, the remnant that's still back in Jerusalem and in Judah, still are defiant against God's punishment. And so Babylon sends in another army, a destroying army this time, where they invade, they lay siege to the city, and they break through the gates, and the entire city is, is, is gutted, it's burned. The temple is destroyed, and all the beautiful things and the precious things in the temple are taken uh, into Babylon to be a, into the king's treasury there. Ezekiel's prophecy as prophets, you can tell a prophet, a true prophet, by this. The Word of God says, if what they prophesy comes to pass. And here you have Ezekiel the prophet, his prophecy comes to pass. Babylon attacks again. The people of God are murdered and scattered to destroy both men and women, boys and girls. Jerusalem is destroyed, including the temple. What does the temple represent? The beautiful temple that, uh, that was uh, built there, the center of government was there. They needed a place of forgiveness and cleansing and thanksgiving and praise. The temple was taken out of the way. Uh, the home of the presence of the one true living God said that he would place his name there. His hand was there. My presence is there. And, the, and, and, and now it's destroyed. And the people had to be confused and destroyed, uh, discouraged, saddened, in grief, as if someone who they loved dearly died. And Ezekiel wonders at this point, when this happens, when he sees this terrible vision, he wonders to himself, is God done with us? Is he washing his hands of us? Has he turned his back on us? Have we blown it for good? Have we crossed the line into too much sin, too much apathy, too much idolatry in this nation that God has finally destroyed us? In our own country's present state of apostasy and rebellion against God, and of all things sacred in America. Uh, 
Can there be hope for America, we might ask, as Ezekiel was probably questioning back then and the people of Israel. Uh, Has she gone too far? Has God abandoned us to the evil desires and practices of perversion and materialism, disrespect for human life? These are good questions that really believers ought to be asking ourselves, and then we ought to do what? We ought to get on our knees, and we ought to, before we give up hope on ourselves, we ought to call out to God for His mercy, because His mercy endures forever. In the midst of every difficult problem, we can call on God. No matter how many times we have failed and fallen into the dirt and rolled around in the gutter, we can call on the name of the Lord. And he will stretch his saving arm, his right saving hand. He will stretch the nail-scarred hand of Christ into the gutter, into the lowest pit, in the midst of our judgment. And he will raise us up when we call on him in repentance. And he will cleanse us and wash us. And he will refit us and he will use us. Somebody say amen. We need to cry out to the Lord for that mercy. And cry out to the Lord for revival and an awakening in the church first and then the nation. You see, revival begins in the house of God. Judgment begins at the house of God, the Word of God tells us in Peter. But we also want revival to begin at the house of God. So many times the church's heart is hard. It is, it is stiff and stubborn against the fresh move of God because we're used to the way we think God used to work. And God can't change how He used to work. And sometimes the church of Jesus Christ, the local churches in America and throughout the world have missed out on a fresh work of God, a fresh move of God because we can't get out of the past to see what God is doing today. And I'm telling you that we need a fresh move of God. And when the fresh move of God comes, we need to get into the river. We need to dive into the river. We need to let the river of God cleanse us and change us and and bring us into a place of compliance to His will. Ezekiel's nation of Judah was in trouble because of their flagrant sin and their disobedience to the covenant relationship with God and their fathers. And now they face His wrath. Can I tell you that so many times we hear in our churches across America in this modern culture that God is love. God is love. And God is love. The Word of God declares that He's love. His character is love. His love is a verb. It is practiced. It is chosen. He chose to set His love upon us. But God is also justice. God also has the, the capacity of fierce wrath uh, when we rebel, of punishing His people. The Word of God says that if, if a father doesn't punish his child uh, when he is disobedient, then the father hates that child. And I tell you, God loves his people enough to set them straight, to set them aright, to give them a whack on the bottom when they need it. Somebody say amen. But I'm going to tell you something. We face his wrath, but I call out for mercy. You know, God longs to be merciful. He longed and wanted to be merciful to Jerusalem and to the people of covenant. But they wouldn't let him because they kept trespassing in his laws. They kept going through the stop signs, through the dead-end streets, and crashing off the end of the cliff. But I want to tell you something about God's character. Blessed be his name. He offers always a vision of hope. In the middle of judgment, he offers light at the end of the dark tunnel. He takes Ezekiel at this point to a valley that is filled with dry bones, a place once where a great army had been, and shows him the light at the end of the dark tunnel of judgment. Because Ezekiel looks at this, and the first thing we're going to look at is the current reality of Israel. And the current reality of Israel is what I described to you. They were laid in ruin. They, they had the foot and the boot 
of the enemy on the backs of their neck. They couldn't move or do anything. They had not the capacity to even gain wealth. Even just staying alive and having enough to eat was a challenge. They were the mockery of all the nations around them that once came to see the incredible wisdom and the glory of Solomon's kingdom and see the wonders that God had used him to do. And now they were mocking and ridiculing Israel and the people of God. I'm sure many of them said, where's your God now? What happened to your God that you said was the one true God? Can I tell you that people in this world, when the church is down, when the church is being kicked, when the enemy tries to put a boot on the back neck of the church, God will arise. God will arise and he will take his vengeance against the enemy as he would the enemies of Israel in due course when their lesson was learned. But we look again and we see that Ezekiel was taken in the midst of this circumstance, of this current reality. You know, I know that there's some name it, claim it preachers who would tell Israel that if you just had the right confession, that you'd get your nation back. If you just had the right confession when before Babylon came in, you would have kept your nation. But I'm telling you, there's a time when we need to deal with the current reality. The reality is that they were being judged by God. God was using an enemy army to bring them to humility. Why did he do that? So that they would look down and then look up and cry out to God for deliverance and restore uh, their relationship with him. Here we see a picture of the valley of dry bones, and it was representative of the current state of affairs of the nation. The nation was laid low from the hand of judgment uh, because of their sin. Rebellion against God brings death. What does the Word of God say, Romans 3.23, that the wages or the payment for sin is death. Now, if that's all that verse said, I'd, I'd feel pretty hopeless right now. But the Word of God goes on to say, listen to me, but uh, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank God that God gives a, a light at the end of the tunnel of judgment. There was, a, there was death that was taking place in the nation. There was the death of Ezekiel's dream and his hopes of being a priest. There was the death of his homeland, the life uh, that he once wanted to live and dreamed about in the promised land. There was death of Jerusalem, the beautiful city of God, uh, where David had ruled and reigned, where Solomon ruled and reigned, where Solomon built the glorious temple, which was one of the incredible wonders of the world. There was death of all those things, death of the temple, death of worship in the city of God. There was death of many people, men, women, boys, and girls. And there was the death of covenant as well, the covenant relationship between his people and God. No. God says, no, that's not over yet. I have an eternal covenant that he swore to David that he would make. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would keep. And when the people of God are unfaithful, God remains faithful. But God will restore them and bring them to a place of repentance. We see this, we go on in the scriptures in verse 3, that uh, he then asked after he sees this incredible sight of the valley of dry bones, and God asked him, son of man, as he referred to Ezekiel, can these bones become living people again? Now, he's asking something that in human understanding, the answer is surely logically and mentally and intellectually, no, once you're dead, you're dead, right? But not so in God's economy, not so with God. You know, what some people call dead, dry, and irrelevant, God says it's never been more relevant and alive than it is today. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the message that he has entrusted to his church, to the people of God, to carry out the message of the gospel, which is the hope of the world. He says to him, son of man, can these bones be living again? It's like, God, is that a trick question? 
Um, gee, I don't know. That's a trick question. Oh, sovereign Lord, he says. God, you're so sovereign. You're so awesome. Uh, Ezekiel said, yeah, you alone know the answer to that. Boy, that's a dodge, isn't it? It's a real dodge. You know, he didn't have the faith to even say, yes, God, with you all things are possible, right? He didn't know what to say. He was perplexed. He was, can I tell you this? He was discouraged. Can I tell you that sometimes God's people, even the most faithful, even those who have read from cover to cover the Word of God, who have the Word of God memorized, that some situation, some current reality in your life can bring you low to where you look down instead of up for a season, for a while, but eventually God calls you, He takes hold of you, and He takes you to the valley of your dry bones, and He says, Son of man, son of, son, or daughter of God, can these, listen, can these bones live again? I don't know, God. I just don't know. This is the same way when God answers those questions when we look at the valley of our dry bones, of our dead hopes and dreams. The way that He breathes life and hope into us again. He breathes life and hope into, listen to me, our dead dreams. He asks the question of us that we in our hopeless state, in our hopeless state, intellectual and emotional state, and we reply back to him as Ezekiel did, like an incident in Mark chapter 9 when a father brings his son who is tormented with a demon to his disciples for deliverance. But they tried to deliver this boy from this demon, but he failed, they failed, they couldn't do it. And so they bring him to Jesus, and Jesus rebukes them for their lack of faith. And, and the passage goes on to record that they bring him to Jesus. This boy and his father were living in their current reality, living in their pain, living in their hopelessness. And they bring him to Jesus, verse 20 says. And he says, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. That's a pretty horrendous sight. You think of yourselves, of parents. If you have a son or a daughter, you see your son or daughter being tormented like this. The agony that you feel in your soul. That you finally hope against hope. You bring them to this rabbi who's going around preaching and doing miracles. You bring him to his disciples and you know, they, they say, you know, can you pray for my son? And they pray and nothing happens. He's still the same hopelessness digs deeper into the ground. Your hopelessness, you go down another story. And Jesus asked the question, how long has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father, you're seeing this boy and the demon in him reacting to the presence of Jesus. Can I tell you that demons still react to the presence of Jesus? The presence of God is in this place. You know, the devil would love to get a foothold in here, but the devil can't stand the presence of God. I was in a youth convention in Fargo, North Dakota back in the late 90s. Yeah, I'm that old. And uh, we were pastoring in North Dakota, and we took our youth there. And there was uh, Roosevelt Hunter was the speaker, an incredible man of God. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> during the worship, it was just at a high place, a pinnacle. And all of a sudden... Roosevelt Hunter got up and he interrupted and he said, this is all flesh. There was people doing all kinds of weird stuff. Can I tell you the Holy Spirit isn't weird? He's not strange. He's not weird. Sometimes we think, you know, manifestations come and sometimes we don't understand some things. But there was people doing crazy stuff. Like one teenager was up there, a couple of them up there, got up on the stage where they didn't belong in their hats and their grunge. And they were up there dancing right in front of the drummer. And, and, uh, and Roosevelt Hunter got up and said, this is all flesh. He, what was he, 
the gift of the discerning of spirits. 1 Corinthians 12, one of the nine gifts of the manifestation of gifts, and he put a stop to it. Just stop the music. This is not of God. You get off the stage. You back there doing all this weird stuff, you stop it and you knock it off. And he took control of the meeting in the name of Jesus. And the presence of God began to roll in. You could, you could feel the presence of God roll in. And then he called the worship back. And he said, now you take it. And they began to worship. And real worship started to take place, not fleshly worship. And you could feel the Spirit of God intensifying. And all of a sudden, almost at once, three places in the massive auditorium, in different places, teenagers possessed by a demon fell to the ground and started writhing and reacting the way this boy was. And Roosevelt Hunter said, you youth pastors who know about deliverance, you go take these to a room and you pray deliverance over them. You bring them back healed and whole. And that's exactly what happened. But I'm telling you that the demons of hell cannot stand the presence of God. See, they were fine in this fleshly worship. But when the real presence of God came in, when they were worshiping in spirit and truth, there came the anointing, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And there was a stark difference and change. You could feel it in the air. You could feel it in your soul. But I can tell you that that happened there was deliverance that day because the real presence of God came in. Well, that's what happened to this boy. Whenever he saw Jesus, and a demon reacted, and he's on the ground writhing and foaming at the mouth. And Jesus, how long has this been happening? Now, that's a good question. And I think it's a good question we ask ourselves, and let me ask you. The situation that you've been going through that has been adverse, that has been painful, that has killed your hopes and your dreams, is like a valley of very dry bones and you wonder if they can ever live again or if it's dead. God asks you the question, can I resurrect your dreams and your hopes? Can I restore life to them? And you say, like this father, what did he reply? He said, since he was a boy and the spirit often throws himself into the fire and the water trying to kill him. And he said this, listen to this, have mercy on us, help us. What did he say? Is this an act of faith? He said, if you can, if, if you can, Jesus. You know, that's what the devil wants to taunt you with. Can Jesus really help you? You cried out to him, but can he really help you? See, that's a good question. If you can. Jesus, what do you mean, if I can? What do you mean by that statement? I can tell you Jesus knew what he meant by that statement. And Jesus asked, anything is possible. And he tells him, anything is possible if a person believes. Now, you listen to that. That ought to be a life verse for some of us. Anything is possible if you believe. And I've known some people who had some crazy confessions and beliefs, and usually it's all about them. It's all about what I can get out of it, not what I can give. I tell you something, I, I mentioned this a while back, John F. Kennedy in his famous inaugurational address asked the question of the people and, come and challenged the nation to ask not what your country can do for you, but rather what you can do for your country. And can I tell you as a pastor, you need to ask not what Jesus can do for you, but what, you can, what church can do for you, but what you can do for your church. I mean to tell you, we need to get our heads screwed on right. We need to get our priorities straightened up. We need to open up our, our, our mind and get our head in the game. Because this is life or death, I'm telling you. 
And he tells his story to Jesus. And, and Jesus, you know, what do you mean if I can? Anything's possible if you just believe. And the father instantly, just instantly cried out. I'm not sure he even thought about his reply. I think it just popped out of him because it's what's in his heart. It's what's been agonizing over. That's what he's been suffering over. And he said this, I believe, Lord, but help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think sometimes we've been there. Have you been there before where you know that you know that you know that we have a miracle-working God, that He is an ever-present help in a time of need, that He never leaves us or forsakes us, that He is there with us going through our trials and our troubles with us, but sometimes in the midst and in the heat of the moment, we can say, God, where are you? Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief because I right now, I just need something. I need you to do something. I need your hand to move. I need you to do something, Lord God, because I just don't know. I know, but I don't know. It's, it's those times when our hope is in God, but we've been laid low by failure and defeat, and we're just worn out. We're just tired. We're tired of trying. Listen, Tired of trying to fix things all by ourselves, which is the foundation of the problem. Our hopes and our dreams are as dead as the valley of dry bones. Very dry indeed. But God, listen to this, but God is in the resurrection business. He is in the resurrection business. When we, listen to me, come to an end of ourself, an end of our striving, God will arise and our enemies will be scattered. God will arise and suddenly you'll feel a change in the very atmosphere of your situation, just like that auditorium in Fargo, North Dakota back then, when there was suddenly a change, a marked change, because somebody opened the door and invited the Holy Spirit to come in and replace all the human effort to get into the presence of God and the Holy Spirit ushered us into the very throne room of God where miracles and deliverance took place. I'll tell you something. God is awesome. He is powerful. He is incredible. Our current reality is given hope. Our current reality is given hope by God with belief in God. Our current reality is given hope by an opportunity for a miracle. Every painful thing you go through is an opportunity for God to do something unique. Back in the 1978, if I believe uh, my, uh, is correct, my wife was suffering with fourth stage cancer. And I remember something, our pastor was in California on a vacation and in our hopelessness and despair because our faith dropped out of the bucket of when we found out and I wondered, how dare he be in California when I need him here? How dare he be on a vacation? What a time to go on vacation, you know? And it was just irrational thinking because who I really needed to plug into was God. I was, I was a little put out with him when he got home and he came by our apartment. And he came in and talked to us and encouraged us with a smile on his face. How dare he smile in this situation? But, you know, he felt something in the atmosphere he felt dry bones rumbling and shaking at the voice of God to come alive. He felt the presence of God there. And he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, Tim and Donna, he said, God is going to heal Donna. And when he does, no man, no flesh will be able to take glory. It'll be for the glory of God.
And I thought, when he left, I smiled and I thanked him. And when I left, I told Don, it's easy for him to say he doesn't have cancer. What was I saying? I believed, but help my unbelief. I, I, that's where I was at. That was my current reality. But the current reality was a door for a miracle. And it wasn't like three months later that God showed up at our church on a Sunday night and the Spirit of God came down like you wouldn't believe and corkscrewed down the top of my wife's head and out the top and then floated around and went out the door. You could feel the presence of God come in and she was instantly healed of cancer. It was a miracle. It was an incredible gift from God. It was the opportunity for God to do something incredible. You see, what do we see here in verse 4 of 37 of Ezekiel? He's, then he said to me, speak. Speak a prophetic message to these bones and say, dry bones, listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to the word of the Lord. Can I tell you that sounds crazy up here, but down here it feels just right. Is that God comes along and he says, miracles happen when in the midst of the death and defeat we speak a prophetic word into that atmosphere. What did Roosevelt Hunter do in that meeting, that meeting in Fargo? He spoke prophetically into the air. Listen, that's powerful. He spoke into the atmosphere of the current reality of fake worship, counterfeit Holy Spirit, and he spoke into it, and suddenly things changed just like that. The Holy Spirit came rolling in, and I tell you, when we listen to the word of the Lord, speak prophetically into the atmosphere of our troubles, God will start to move. The atmosphere will begin to change. Hope will rise. You see, we speak into it. I think it's just pretty exciting that God would even allow Ezekiel or us to even be used. God could speak into it himself. It's really God who is doing it, right? But he says, hey, I want you to be a part of the miracle I'm doing. Uh, we're going to do this together, God will say. I was like, God, really? You're going to let me do this? I, I remember uh, a year ago about this time and my uh, son-in-law and my daughter and their four children moved in with me and Donna at the parsonage for about two and a half months while they waited for the closing of their house that they bought in Shawano where they were now pastoring. And while they were there, there were some things around the parsonage that needed to be done and I'm not a handyman at all. And so what did I do? My son-in-law says, hey, I can fix that in the bathroom that, you know. And so he goes to the hardware store, brings his little three-year-old at that time son, goes to the hardware store. Sammy comes back and he comes out, Grampy, me and daddy fixed that in the bathroom. Me and daddy did. And I said, so you did. He had his little tools on, you know, toy tools on and he was down there working just as hard as his dad was. I tell you, that's us, see? <laughs> that's us. And God says, our Father says, hey, come on, we're going to fix this. You come along with me. Isn't that awesome? He doesn't need us. Uh, we're probably more in the way, like, saying, you know, a little kid, get in the way. Now, I hear his dad say, now step back, now we're going to do this, and because he's, he's in the way trying to fix it himself. Sometimes we do that, and God says, no, don't just step back, and we're going to do this together, but you, you, you know, let's get there. Sometimes he says, here, you, put, you, put, you hold the tool, and we, he puts his big hand over, see, and guides it where it needs to go. That's God, see. That's God. He uses us. Why does he use us? He doesn't need it, but he wants to because he loves us, and he wants us, listen, to get the thrill 
of knowing that God allows us to be a part of the work that he is doing. God is at work in your situation. He wants you to be a part of the situation by changing your attitude, changing how you think, and changing the words that come out of your mouth, you see. Because Israel was saying that our days are over. They were saying that this is our life from now on. And God says, no, I don't want you to say that. I want you to prophesy over your situation that God is going to change it. Romans chapter 4, 17 says that God is the God who gives life to the dead and he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Things that don't exist now, God says, oh, they're right over there. We say, God, where's it at? I don't see it. God says, I've, I've already given you a miracle. Well, God, where's it at? I don't see it. He's the God who calls those things that are not as though they were. And when we become into agreement with him saying, yeah, God, I think, I'm gonna, I, think I see this. You remember Elijah saw that when he was on Mount Carmel and he said there's going to be the abundance of the sound of rain's coming. And he sent his servant over. He's down on his knees and he's down there curled up praying. Sends his servant over. Take a look over in the sky and uh, no, no clouds. Keeps praying. Go take another look. No clouds. Go take a Well, there's a, there's a cloud the size of a man's hand up in the sky. This little tiny little dot. And he said, oh, that's it. Rain's coming. Sometimes we don't see the clouds of God coming into our situation. They may seem so small and insignificant, but out of that little cloud with the hand came the flooding of rain coming down, breaking the drought in that day. God calls us to do what? To believe. To believe hope against hope. To believe that God who raises the dead to life will also raise dead hopes and dreams. Ezekiel 37, 5 and 6, this is what the sovereign Lord says, look, I, look at, now notice this, notice this, I am. Name of God. Moses asked God at the burning bush, who shall I say has sent me? What is your name? He said, I am that I am. What do you say? I am going to put breath into you and to make you live again. And I will say I will. This is God will. We did what we do. We did what we were told. We prophesy with hope against hope uh, against those things that we don't see yet, but we believe yet because God said, he says, I am going to put breath into you and make you live again. I will put flesh and muscles on you and cover you with skin. I will put breath into you and you will come to life and then you will know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. The nations around you will say that God is alive. Listen. Thirdly, what do we do? There's power in our words. What does this mean? What does this signify? God will allow us to believe and to find out that there's power in the words that we speak. Ezekiel 37, 11 through 14, verse 11 says this, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones represent the people of Israel. They are saying that we have come, become old dry bones, and all hope is gone. Our nation is finished. And when we are discouraged, we do that as well. We often speak negatively about our troubles. In doing so, what do we do? We don't help the matter, but instead we exasperate the current situation that we find ourselves in. What else do we do? We come into agreement with the enemy about our trouble. 
We start agreeing with him and what his intentions are to bring death and destruction uh, to our dreams and to our hopes. Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is it. We need to be careful what we think about, what we meditate about, how we think about and speak about the situation we're in when we're in trouble. We need to speak life and prophesy over it in the name of Jesus for life to come in. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. We need to speak the word of God and see what God will do. Verse number 10, Ezekiel said, so I spoke. I did what God told me, the message that he commanded me. And he testifies, hey, breath came into their bodies and they all came to life and they stood up on their feet, a great, incredible army. Now, just in closing here today, I just want to say that denying the reality of our situation isn't necessarily faith, it's just denial. But denying the current reality when the Spirit of the Lord moves in our hearts and deals with our situation to intervene, when He says to us, prophesy over these dead, dry bones, tell them to live, speak out in faith against the reality, the current reality you're living in, you're going to see an incredible miracle happen, and they're going to come to life when you believe, and resurrection will come. And then we have to step out into faith and call those things that are not as though they were. That's kind of tough to do. But I'll tell you, when faith rises and the Spirit of God comes, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of the Lord. The words that we have and the words that we use have tremendous power. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of the tongue in Proverbs 18.21. And I believe many times our prayers will become more powerful and have greater anointing uh, when our everyday life is filled up with the words of God, words that uplift, words that bless, words that bring grace to other people, words that bring hope in hopeless situations. A holy life is powerful as well. When we see, uh, when it comes to seeing the answers of prayer, Jesus' prayers were heard because he had a reverent submission to his Father. It's important for all of us who want to have an effective prayer life if we want to see miracles happen when we speak the word of the Lord into situations, that we need to get into the word of God and speak truth into every negative situation. And then we can sit back and we can see what God will do. When we come into a dire situation, it's real, it's not imaginary. And with the faith that we have in God, we can speak into it, we can prophesy truth into it, and then watch dead, dry bones come alive. We need to have faith in God. Faith in God will move a mighty mountain. What does the word say in Mark chapter 11? Jesus said, you could say to this mountain if you have enough faith to be removed into the sea and it will be done. What mountain are you facing in your life? What dire situation are you facing? What are the dead dry bones that you're looking at and you wonder, can they live? Can God resurrect my hopes, my dreams? God can do anything. All things are possible when we believe. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we know that we live in a nation that's in trouble because of our sin. I believe we're facing the impending judgment of a holy and righteous God against the sin in our nation. But God, we, the remnant of your people, we cry out and we look at the dead, dry bones in the valley of defeat. And Lord, we ask you to move in our heart 
to prophesy to these dead dry bones to come alive. Lord, people who have hopes and dreams, Lord, they've heard the word of the Lord speak to them many years ago and that hasn't come to pass, but God, Lord, you're the God of, who resurrects hopes and dreams, callings. God, we pray you'd move today. Lord, not just in this worship center, but on those watching online by live stream, God, move in the living rooms and the homes and the places where this is being watched. Let the Spirit of God, who knows no boundaries of space or time, move into the hearts and the lives of people and resurrect dreams. Bring hope to hopeless situations, healing. The doctor said there's no hope, but God, you're the God of all hope who changes what is reality into your reality. God, bring that kind of reality to us. Dry bones come alive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.